Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. and welcome to Louisa's Health Kick podcast and we are discussing all things happiness and optimism and I am delighted to be joined by Sue Atkins. Sue is an internationally recognised parenting expert, broadcaster, speaker and author. Sue regularly appears on ITV's This Morning, Good Morning Britain and Sky News along with being the go-to parent expert for many BBC radio stations. Sue is also the parenting expert for Disney Family recording monthly podcasts and Facebook Live tea parties around parenting hacks. Sue is joining us today to talk a little bit about all of that, but mainly about the Disney Gift of Play campaign. And with so much going on, Sue, thank you for sparing some of your very busy time with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So could you start just by telling us a little bit about the Disney Gift of Play and and what it's all about, really? Yes, well, I've been working with Disney for quite a while and then they approached me and said, we're going to do something around play because it's so important. Children coming through a pandemic need to play. I mean, they need to play anyway, but that's how children, you know, relax, process emotions, make sense of the world and just discover. And there's so much happening when children play. So they decided to have a website called The Gift of Play And I've done some videos for them, my top 10 tips around play. They've got some introductions and some play starters by a theatre group all around imagination. And it's a wealth of uh, stuff and free resources, puzzles, games, activities and ideas all around play. So head over to it and discover it because I think it's really, really helpful for families who may find they don't quite know where to start with it. I think that's a good point. And I think I can almost personally relate to that from personal experience with my son. And I think there is often a parental feeling that we need to control things that the children do. And almost we need to be filling their time. And I will admit to being a bit guilty of that myself at times and thinking, oh, we have a day off or it's the weekend or it's the holidays. What do you want to do? What can we do? Where can we go? Instead of actually just, he's eight, letting him just go to his room and and play with his toys and use his imagination. He's got a room full of toys that then will complain he hasn't played with, but we're the ones filling his time. (laughs) Do you think that's something we do as parents? Yes, it's a balance. Um, I did a peanut pod actually yesterday on my peanut community around the importance of play. And I talked about the six stages of play because there are six different ones, ages and stages from naught to sort of three months and then six months to 12 and right the way up to four plus. And People didn't really realise that. There are play, there's play where they play alone. There's play when they parallel play with a friend, but they're not really interacting. Then around about the four and a half mark, they start playing properly. They love the game and they like playing with the other child or children. Um, then there's that play where they like to play with you. And you know what it's like. I remember Molly, my daughter, was young. The, the boys had gone off. Um, Will used to play football on a Sunday. He'd gone with his dad to his game. And Molly didn't want to go and all the rest of it. So she said, can we play Ludo? So we sat down, a cup of coffee. I remember it clearly, actually. I, I used to love it. So we chatted and we played. Well, we played it once, Louise. <laughs> but, but then she said, can we play again? I go, oh, yes, of course, you know. 
let's do it again. And the third time I thought, mate, it's not that great with just the two of us. I mean, if you've got six people and you're trying to get a six, that and you're chatting and laughing and drinking coffee and all that, but it was just the two of us. So what I learned from that and what I put in my first book, Parenting Made Easy, How to Raise Happy Children, was there's a never enough. They will always want your time. They will always want more from you. And of course, it's nice to sit down each day and perhaps chat with them, play with them, listen to them, read to them. But don't feel you have to be a Butlin's red coat because then you're at their kind of mercy. And there is a mixture. And I've got a technique that I use um, for my clients when I'm working one-to-one, which is for a minute. So if you think you know, they say, oh, play with me or something like that. You you sit down with them for a minute because in your head it's not for long. But sometimes kids just need you to start, start them off. And then once they're involved in building or playing or whatever they're doing, they're, they're okay. But they need that little bit of confidence to get started. So think about all the different types of play. And you're right to let them play on their own sometimes. And that really will help them use their own imagination too, won't it? Oh, definitely. I think that's a really good thing for us parents to remember, actually, not to be a red coat because we do put, it's brilliant. I like that. I'm going to use that. But we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents, don't we? And I think social media has a big role to play in this as well because we'll have, you know, you and I are both on Instagram, but perhaps not in the way that some people are. And we'll have like a, a setup of a play looking wonderful and, you know, a, a child and, and a parent in an Instagram setup. But we know that's not maybe the true reflection of the interaction between parent and child in that picture, but it may make us feel, oh, I don't have as many toys or as tidy a room. And and we start to compare, don't we, and put that pressure on ourselves. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect parent, just be a real one. And, you know, that whole thing about perfect play and perfect areas and all of that stuff doesn't really exist, does it? It's messy. One simple thing I used to do with my kids, though, is I used to box up or put into a basket a, a load of their toys, put them away up in the attic or in the cupboard for a month. And when I would bring them out again, they go, oh, look, I haven't seen this for ages, and they play with them. So rather than buying more and more, which is expensive and families are in trouble at the moment around the cost of living, think about rotating your toys. And I always remember going up to my mother-in-law and father-in-laws, and there was a train set of my husband's, I'm not telling you how long old, how old he is and how long ago it was, but it was really ancient. And the kids used to love seeing that this little train set, Molly would get stuck in and will playing with their dad's old train set. So you never know what would capture their imagination and for how long. So yeah, I think it's important that you don't keep on buying more and more. And when you are, and I've got it on my website as well, suggestions around types of toys, because sometimes they're all just plastic. So that's not great for texture. Sometimes they're very passive. They're just pressing buttons and stuff. And that's why the laptop and apps are good in moderation. I always say balance, not banning. But do think about, you know, a saucepan and a wooden spoon for your little one, because all of that is all part of their learning curve, too. Oh, absolutely. I remember one of my favourite things to do as a child, and, you know, it's showing my age perhaps, was to play with a box of buttons. You know, I had, I did have toys, of course I did, but I loved playing with my mum's buttons. I'd put them in, you know, different shapes and sizes, and of course that's all textual and sensory. And and colours, I used, that's such a memory. I had forgotten I did the same. My mum had a big pot, and I used to play with them too. 
Simple. As long as they're not little and put them in their mouth. No, absolutely. Of course. No disclaimer there. No no buttons for under certain age. But isn't that lovely and simple? Absolutely. But as you say, pots, pans, anything like that. I think we can certainly overthink our need to provide for children in that sense, to provide things for them to play with. Actually, children, put them in a room, they'll find something to play with. They will find something to do. They will use their imagination, whether it's cushions to build a den. We don't have to buy things necessarily for them to do that. So I think to take the pressure away from parents is a big thing in in our own health. But I want to come on to children's health. And we've discussed a bit the role of play and how good it is for children's development and bouncing back from the you know the two years we've had which of course have been and continue to be very stressful for many um but how important just how important is play for a child's mental health and emotional resilience oh very much so they're exploring their emotions they're they're working through children also are being they're very controlled when they're little aren't they we're always telling them what to do don't touch that put your coat on eat that so there's a feeling that they can practice and play they can relax and explore they can make mistakes they can get back up and recover from them they can learn from them and I call it failing forward there's gross motor skills there's fine motor skills there's physical skills as they balance and play and hang on things so play is an enormous part it's not just the imagination and it doesn't have to be structured it can be totally unstructured and a whole mixture of all of these things and I certainly think that's what kids need get out in the garden now if the weather is better as well you know you can even uh, I used to build with my cousin um sort of like a an assault course with stuff that was just in the garden. Of course, it was safe and mum and dad kept an eye on it. But we loved it, balancing, making, doing, building, creating. And sometimes I, you know, um, I used to do things on my own. I was an only child. So I, I, I think that's where my imagination came in, actually, because I had to find things sometimes to do. Um, so, yeah, don't overstimulate your kids. Notice sometimes if they are getting a bit overwhelmed and certainly don't feel you have to provide all the entertainment for them no absolutely I'm noticing that more with my with my son as I say he's he's age eight now so he's a little bit older and he's at school and I think I don't know whether it's a, a an age thing or what but he's certainly getting more tired after the school day I think that you know they are the the year is changing and it's not just so much play at school it's it's more real school so he's he's quite tired and he has quite a lot of activities after school and, and we're quite conscious now that, you know, is he actually doing too much as an eight-year-old? He's got swimming, he's got martial arts, he's got football, he's got cubs. And actually the time he has to just do nothing and, and be an eight-year-old is, is quite, you know, it's quite short really, it's quite short on time. And um, so I think we also have to be mindful of, yes, they're young. And of course we think they're young, they've got time, they can do things, but actually sometimes they just need that downtime and that We'll say, do you want to go to football tonight? Now I just want to relax. And actually, we have to respect that and think, well, you know, of course, you you just sit in your room, you play, whatever you want to do, instead of always thinking. I think many of us have these routines and timetables for children, particularly as they get older. So, you know, when they're, when they're younger, we, they're not so much, they obviously get more tired. But when they're at school, they have all these activities, they have lots of things in their diary. We can sometimes forget that just like we get tired, they can genuinely get tired too and, and just need that downtime. I mean, I wrote an, a blog about overscheduling your kids because I suppose you also want to give them opportunities perhaps that you didn't have, which is lovely, 
but don't overdo it. And I used to, I've worked in all sorts of areas. I even worked in a private school for a while where they were very over uh, scheduled over activities you know they went I remember a little girl was on rescue remedy she was eight in my class I used to be a deputy head and you know she'd be going from um, a busy day at school to a horse riding lesson to a French lesson and then she'd have a bit of homework and she was eight you know so you've got to look at that and you've got to find a balance and also the other thing I think that's important there you know that idea certainly when I was growing up you waited for things sometimes you didn't get it all in one go you had to kind of wait oh you know you've got to wait till you're 11 before you get that or something and that's not a great example but that idea that you don't get it all in one go I think is quite good because it means you're looking forward to something you're not overwhelmed and definitely play where you just chill out and relax there's nothing wrong with just being and also if you can introduce your kids perhaps to reading stories that's a lovely way to on their own or with you you relax and that's just a nice thing to do and I still read copiously because of the habits I got into as a kiddie Oh, absolutely. We're a reading household here as well. I'm, I'm, I read every day and my little boy, is, is he loves reading. We are literally surrounded. Every room you go in, there's a book open. He has about eight on the go at one time. I don't quite know how he does it. Different bookmarks in them at various stages. Lots of books on the go. But the point you made there about children and expectations of the immediate, I think, is a really good point. Because I think we often have this conversation. I'm linking this a lot with my own parental experience talking to you. You bring that out in people. It's the parent coaching you. But I'm thinking we are consciously saying to our son, you know, you have to be excited about it. You have to wait for it because I think children today do get too much too easily. And I certainly remember having to wait and build up or save up for something or really look forward to something. And it's that anticipation that builds the excitement and how much we enjoy it. If we just get it straight away, we haven't had the anticipation. We haven't had the build-up. We haven't been longing for it. No. And you don't appreciate it, do you? I mean, I actually wrote again, I'm always writing. I wrote a blog years ago. I noticed in France, they bake on a certain, I think Saturday morning, they bake with their kids, but they don't allow them to eat the cakes until the afternoon. Just for that whole thing of, you know, anticipation and waiting. And then you make a sort of a an occasion of it a little bit, perhaps to have, you know, sit down and have your cakes. I just like that idea, whether you need it or not. Sometimes I used to say no to my kids just so that they got used to the idea that they just can't have everything right now. And there are certain health benefits to it as well in terms of looking at the, the instant gratification. And when we are having a generation of children who aren't experiencing anticipation, actually, that's not good for their own development. And actually, it has a negative impact on society. And I, like you, also like to write a lot. And I remember writing about this, and there's a scientific experiment done on children. Don't do it on young children who can't eat marshmallows. And I don't know why marshmallows are used, because I don't like marshmallows, but the marshmallow test. And if you put a child in a room with a marshmallow and you tell them to sit there and it's in front of them, and if they eat it, they lose, you know, they don't get another one. They, you know, they've sort of, they've, they've not failed. We don't say fail, but, you know, you don't, that's it, it's over. Whereas if you, if you keep it in front of you and you don't eat it, we'll give you another one. But you need to wait a while before that happens. And when they're on video and there's obviously experts behind and you can see them, you can see them like the anticipation and and then they'll give in. 98% will give in and they'll reach for the marshmallow and they can't resist it. They, they go for it, they eat, even though they know they're missing out, they're denying themselves double marshmallow. 
They can't resist it. But there's lots of scientific evidence that shows if you can resist, if you have it within you to withhold that need for instant gratification, that you will be more successful in life, in work, in relationships, because you're not expecting everything now. And we can see it in society that people just want everything. We're impatient. We're almost aggressive if we don't get something straight away. And it's not nice traits. So we need to wind that back with our children and recognize that actually anticipation is very good. It's reminding me of, yeah, it reminds me of what you were saying. I know that um, uh, experiment, but also it reminds me of Veruca Salt in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because she's not very nice, is she? <laughs> and it's a bit of that where you give them everything and they don't appreciate it and they just want more. So you kind of create a bit of a monster for yourself there, really, don't you? Yes, and it's not good for them either because what happens, especially if it's a food thing, and like, you know me, I always like to bring it back to food, but if it's a food thing and it's an, a sort of a, a a nutritional addiction, shall we call it, which sugar can do, it can create those pathways that build up that desire to need it, then a child may respond to certain sweets in a supermarket or something because they they see them, they want them, and they're having this biological response to their that what they think is their physical need for them. But of course, they can't articulate that. So it may look like they're having, you know, I don't like to use the word tantrum, but it may look like they're having a tantrum. They may be displaying you know, let's say unsavory characteristics, you know, shouting, stomping, because they want it. And often the parent will just think, oh, yeah, just have it because it's easier. You're causing a scene. You have it instantly. It may be easier, but long term, it isn't. Because what's happening to that child, and they're not being naughty, they're responding to biology. And what that biology is doing is linking food and unhealthy food at that to emotions. And then what we see in grown-ups is emotional eating, stress eating, comfort eating, you know, reaching for unhealthy foods or unhealthy things, you know, at times of, you know, ill health or stress or comfort when the last thing you want is something sugary. But that biological addiction and that sort of habitual food pathway has been established in childhood. So it's a, you know, it's a big biological thing, but actually it's, it's, it's just giving sweets and giving in to a response to sweets because oh let's have it because you're making a scene let's just move on just have the sweets and we'll talk about it outside when they're outside they've forgotten it's gone they've moved on children need to know in the instant don't they there's no point in having a conversation when you get home I think that is absolutely fascinating really so it's about building good habits early on what do you suggest actually for children then who you know instead of giving them sweet things or sweets what can they enjoy that would be an alternative to that that wouldn't get them started right because I, I do a toddler roadmap podcast and I'm thinking what can I tell the parents on that around sort of when you get into a bad habit too quickly because you just don't think what would you advise I think what I always advise with with food for particularly under fives is to talk about the food that create naturally happy molecules and food creates naturally happy molecules within the body. So we are able as humans to regulate our moods very well, including happiness um, and alertness and, you know, all those things that make us feel, you know, end up naturally we're able to do that. Of course, sugary foods do that for us, but the artificial way they do that and I'm moving my arms around, which is ridiculous on a podcast, but you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm showing the sugar reaction. So the, the, the unnatural way that sugar does that is to sort of give us a quick spike and a quick mood elevation and a quick zingy zingy, you know, children when they've had sugar at a party and they're all charging around everywhere. 
but that quickly crashes. And as the blood sugar crashes, so does the mood. And then, of course, they, they're a bit irritable, they're a bit tired, they maybe want more because it's worn off, but the, the connections are there that drive up the response to want more. And the happy molecules of natural food don't do that. So if we have natural foods, a good example is a banana. I don't know many children that don't like bananas, but a banana contains two amino acids which are linked with our mood, tyrosine and tryptophan. Both of those create happy molecules in the body. And I'm jigging around with jazz hands, which nobody can see, but happy molecules. So tyrosine creates dopamine. Dopamine is the pleasure and reward chemical. So that makes us feel happy, makes us feel alert and happy and all those things that we would also get unnaturally from sugar. But it doesn't create the negative associations that sugar would do. And tryptophan creates serotonin, which is a lovely neurotransmitter. It's the mood calming and stabilizing neurotransmitter. So it's very important for children, particularly when we talk about children's anxiety and mental health, because if we don't feel calm and content, we can't feel other things. That is, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Calm and content needs to be the first thing. We can't try and make our child happy if they're not calm and content. We need to be calm and content first, and then we can be happy or we can be tired or we can be sad or we can be other emotions, but first of all, we need to be content. And that we can get that from natural foods, and I'd always suggest in the under fives, that needs to be the habit forming that we're making. Because if we're making the habit forming food pathways, I call them, with natural foods, then we don't have that reaction to sweets in the supermarket because we've not had them. We're not familiar with them. We don't know what they do to us. So we're not going to react to them. And by five, the palate, the taste has developed a certain way. So you can then introduce them to sweets. Likelihood is they might not like them. They might like them, but they're not going to react the same way a one, two, three or four-year-old would to them. Wow, that is so intriguing and so helpful, isn't it? To people thinking about it. Oh, that's just fantastic. I'm, I'm off out to get bananas. Well, they're my food of the month this month as well, because my theme is happiness. So bananas are, and it's International Banana Day on the 20th of April, I think. So there you go. Let's get stuck into that. <laughs> I do love a banana. <laughs> get, get the bananas. I know everyone loves a banana. I know very few people who don't like a banana. So if there's one thing you take away, have a banana. Food, for me, obviously, food has a role in, in everything to do with, with development, health and future outcomes. So there's always a way that we can use food in any scenario, really. But, but with the very young, it, when we're talking about you know, instant gratification, we can often relate that to food. So the example with, with the French and the baking, that's really good. Yes, we all bake with our children, but often as soon as they're out of the oven, everyone's pouncing on them. <laughs> yeah, the icing is melting because it's still hot. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, in, in, delaying the gratification may seem mean, you may feel, but don't, don't feel mean because actually it's not being mean. If you think the bigger picture about all of these things, right, we often get very stuck in the immediate, as we were talking about, but actually take the larger, bigger picture to what you're trying to teach your children. Often I just say to the parents I work with, so what are they learning from that? And they put that, I have a pause to ponder on my toddler roadmap uh, podcast, and every week we put pause to ponder, pop it on the fridge, put it on your phone, just think, yeah, so when I do that, what are they actually learning? Oh, no, I don't really want them to learn that. So that's, you know, what we've talked about today could be quite a good one for a, a weekly ponder, couldn't it? Yeah, no, that's a really good thing. Another really good thing for parents to have as a as a sort of reminder. It's almost like putting 
a one second gap between a situation, isn't it? So we're not just doing something automatically, but we're having that one second to think, what is the actual outcome of this situation? What do I want to get from this situation? What do I want the child to get? I have the pause button technique that goes around social medias and stuff with my clients. Imagine you've got a remote control zapper in your hand. You just press pause, free phrase, everything just freeze frames for a split second. You take a physical step back. That just detaches you for a split second while you say to yourself, is what I'm going to say now going to damage their self-esteem or am I going to shout or what do I want them to do? And then be very specific. Hang the towel on the rack. Don't leave it on the bed. Put the toothbrush back in the pot. You know, whatever it is. Oh, it sounds like my daily conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, be specific because loads of parents aren't specific either. But the pause button technique, and I'll stick it on to Twitter in a minute when we finish chatting, is just so helpful because it just gives you that split second to think, hmm, what is it I need to do now that, you know, might be more helpful? I call it um, responding rather than reacting. No, definitely. That's a really good tip. And I think because when when parents shout, we always feel guilty as soon as we've done it. So having that second would be enough to stop us shouting and respond differently. And then we don't have the horrible parental guilt that we've we've upset the child, which we all have. You know, the only time to shout at them is if they're in danger and they're about to cross the road or sort of you, that's the only time I think it's really, you know, but every other time we feel bad about doing it. So having that pause and stopping ourselves is actually really good. I use a similar thing when talking to people about food choices so when we we just eat for the sake of it one second and have a conversation with the food now that may sound crazy but step back look at it are you worthy of me eating you yes or no it's often enough for somebody to think oh god no it's not and then that's a decision made talk talk to your food talk to your food it's intriguing but that's brilliant isn't it, it just gives you that split second that you're not responding to you know you're not just reacting rather to it you are responding and if you think like that and you get into a bit of a habit because I'm a believer in it takes ages sometimes isn't it? it takes at least 10 times or something before you do something before you remember that it's a habit to do it but I love that idea and that then will help you think about for your children because you're the role model for your kids so if you are role modeling sort of being a little more careful about what you're putting in your mouth they're going to learn from you not even because you say a lot of stuff but but you actually act it and that's how they really learn from you as a role model yeah our habitual patterns and behaviors will become theirs and i think that's really important because if we if we follow the health sort of trends of where we're going our children have not got a very healthy future predicted for them if we look at all the statistics so actually if we can shape their healthy habits and not just with physical health and food but with things like play bringing it all back to play and 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 the conversation we've been having and their use of imagination and their use of you know sad that many eight-year-olds don't play anymore because they're just on an xbox or something thankfully my son will still play but some of his friends and some of his peers will would rather be on you know a device and it's too young. They, they still need to play. And it's all about balance. Even when you're a teenager, balance, not banning. We used to have a thing where we used to ride our bikes on Saturday mornings, you know, because Kevin was working and stuff, but he was off on Saturdays and Sundays. So we created a habit that we look forward to. We went with the dogs as well, Rygate Hill, and we would go off for a bike ride. And then you have, you know, we'd have a coffee or they'd have whatever they'd have after. So you link it to good memories because you're making memories that last a lifetime all the time anyway. So why not get 
a little more physical. It's not a big thing. But if you do it regularly and you do it often, kids look forward to it too. And, you know, if take them out to the park and let them climb, let them run, let them hop, let them skip. All of these very small things means that they are physically active. And when they grow up and they become adults, that's how they think about exercise. It's just something natural that you do. And because we've always had dogs, we would take the dogs out every day, even when they were tiny as toddlers. You didn't go as far, of course, but you would go and they would just be used to walking. So, yeah, all of these little habits build up to being good ways of being later on, don't they? Absolutely. And we we can help to shape those habits and we can help to, it's within our gift to change the future health predictions for children. I think that's really important. Now we we may look at statistics and think, oh, that's really frightening. You know, mental health statistics, obesity statistics, all these statistics around children's health, but actually it is within our gift. And we don't need massive skills to be able to do that. We don't need loads of money to be able to do that going to the park, going for a walk, using a stick, you know, we don't need expensive equipment, you don't need to you know, pay for clubs, you don't need any of those things. I think that's a really important message, isn't it? That you don't, I mean, I've put some stuff I was saying to you earlier, little bits of pieces that I've been reading about research they discovered about the pandemic, affecting children and babies and all the rest of it. But actually, everything starts with us as parents, doesn't it? So just make that difference in your family. And don't worry then necessarily about expensive courses or trainings that you need to go on. Just start thinking about some of the healthy things that you might like to introduce in your family. And you can't really go far wrong. No, absolutely. And there are, of course, many hints and tips in the various platforms that you use, Susan. Could you tell people listening where best to, and we will put your links up as well, so people haven't got to furiously scribble and try to remember all of them, but with the many places where they can go and all of your wonderful books as well, if people want some resources. Yes, well, I'm thesueatkins.com because there's a lady sitting on a yacht called Sue Atkins and it's not me. So I'm the one and only. The one. So thesueatkins.com. I've got a podcast at the moment all around toddlers. It's the Toddler Roadmap podcast, but actually it's a complement to the Toddler Roadmap.com, which is my free training. And you can get all sorts of videos there and modules, everything you need for raising a happy, confident toddler. I've I felt compelled to write it and create it about all aspects because of children living under the pandemic. So I talk about fussy eating, I talk about sleep, I talk about play, uh, sibling rivalry, the arrival of a new baby, why they say why all the time, when they go through that no phase, you know, everything's there. So go and check it out. Um, I'm on Instagram as suatkins 18 Twitter Sue Atkins, LinkedIn Sue Atkins, you know, you name it, you put me in, I turn up like a bad penny. But if you're interested in my new campaign with Disney, it's www.disneymagicmoments.com no, .uk. Let's start that again. So it's disneymagicmoments.co.uk, gift of play. But if you put it in, it's all over my website as well, and you'll be able to find it. Loads of resources, all for free, to get them active, to get them playing. So all of the things we've been discussing all come together, really, through play, eating healthily, mental health, well-being, and all of those things. And check out my YouTube channel as well, because there's loads of free videos on that. Absolutely. It's definitely worth people following up on those links with Sue, because she does have an amazing amount of experience and expertise. And as you said, there's a lot of resources that are out there for free. Um, So 
Thank you once again for having your wonderful tips with us. It's always so lovely to talk to you. And thank you for coming on my podcast today. It's been really wonderful. Thank you so much. I could talk to you all afternoon. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Masia, discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production. 